to our study this morning. We're in part two of our uh, portrait marriage series, More Than Married. And I'm just going to pick up with where we left off. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, working our way through the book of Ephesians. By the way, we will finish. If I don't get the flu or something like that, because I know we have people out sick today, and that's why the Christmas meeting's not happening, because some of the folks are sick. But if I don't get sick, and I pray that I don't, we will finish Ephesians on December 31st. I've mapped it out. I was like, here's my Christmas message, a Thanksgiving message. Uh, I looked at it all and said, we will finish, bam, right on December 31st. And that'll tell you where we're headed next. Uh, but we will pick up with verse 27 in our study of the fifth chapter this morning, starting with verse 27, uh, this referencing Jesus in this first uh, part of the verse, that he, being Jesus, might present her, being the bride of Christ, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives As their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does his church. Let's pray again. Father, we ask right now that your Holy Spirit fill me, fill this place, prepare the hearts of your people, and Lord, that you drive out any distraction. Lord, that you would just drive the enemy out of this place, that we'd hear from the living God. And Lord, that you would use this time in your word and the Lord, suffer a little later, Lord, just to cleanse us, purify us, and strengthen us in marriage to you and those that are married to one another, but all of us collectively in a relationship as a family, the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm not sure who originally made this statement, but uh, it's a little bit comical, but it's, I think it has a lot of truth to it as well. And this, uh, here's the statement, marriages are not made in heaven. They come in kits, and you have to put them together yourself. And I think that's true. Marriage direction comes from heaven, but none of us have actually been to heaven yet, right? I know parts of the Caribbean or Hawaii might feel like it, but you haven't actually been to heaven yet until you get to heaven. But marriage, the direction of marriage, comes down from heaven. As a matter of fact, someday the Lord's going to bring down the very... New, New Jerusalem, as, as a bride adorned, it says. But the instructions for marriage most certainly come from heaven, don't they? And it is a kit, if you will. The Bible is a kit from Genesis to Revelation, and you have to open up the kit. By the way, if you have a kit for anything, it never opens itself. You can just put it on the table, and it'll sit there dormant. You have to open it up. You have to start to bring the parts out. You have to start to put things together. Now, God gives the instruction manual, manual but we're going to have to follow the instructions. We're going to have to put these pieces together. And this is what we're seeing in these uh, verses this morning. We have a role to play. Now, thankfully, grace is always there because even when we play the role as best we can, we still don't measure up. Amen? You know the verse, it says, even our righteousness is filthy rags. I remind myself that, and I haven't said it in a while, so I'll say it again. I tell myself every now and then, or I'll tell people when I'm witnessing, I'm sharing my faith, say, hey, I'm not better than you. Matter of fact, the best day I've ever had spiritually on earth is still filthy rags. That's hard to, that's hard to swallow when we feel like we've grown a lot, right? That we still, you mean the best we've ever done is still filthy rags? Then why do it at all? Right? You might think that. 
And God says, because part of my kit or instruction manual is that you follow it to the end of your course. And in that process, as imperfect as you are, you actually become a lot more like Jesus in the process, individually and as a husband and wife. And so we need the grace, but at the same time, we still have a role to play. Those of you that are parents, you may know when your kids first start making the bed, it's not going to look like if you made it, but they still have a role to play. they got to make it anyway, right? You can come back. You're not going to drop a quarter on it and bounce. It's going to die in some lumpy spot or something like that. So, but it's still, we all have to start to do the things that God says, here's what I want you to do. Well, well what's going to do it for me? You'll find out, God will say. Start to work these things out in our life. The first thing we want to look at this morning, in verse 27, what I've titled the purity. Uh, the purity. Now, Paul here, continuing the representation of Christ as the husband and the bridegroom, uh, or Christ as the husband and, and the church being the bride um, and his wife, he expresses the desire and the intent of Jesus to present him, to present to himself. Christ is going to at some point in the future, of course, it's already happened in God's economy, but it's yet to happen for us. We are not there yet, but at some point, God is going to present to himself a perfect, sinless bride, the church of Christ, which involves people from Africa and Asia and the Middle East and South America and Australia and even California. All these places are going to be represented. We we have a Californians here we love. Sorry about the Dodgers this week. We, we were cheering with you, unless you're a Houston fan. But anyway, how do I digress like this? But anyway, um, but the Lord's going to present himself a pure church, not just a stable church. That's a good thing, right? Not just a saved church. That's utterly important. Not just a unified church, but a glorious church, the verse says. that says here in verse 27, a glorious church church. In Isaiah 62, verse 5, it says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It's hard to believe God rejoices over us, isn't it? We don't rejoice over us. We look in the mirror like, ain't much to rejoice over here, Lord. It's kind of a good attitude in a sense, and people think too highly of themselves. But all of you married men, I'm sure on the wedding day, you were hoping to say, and some of you may have mouthed it. The camera might have caught it. Someone who was filming the wedding, so the camera may have caught this. You might have mouthed it and said, wow, she looks amazing. I knew when I saw my wife coming down the aisle that I had clearly achieved way out of my league. <laughs> that thought was definitely there. I'm like, how in the world did I pull this off? Man, she, she was blinded. And ladies, I'm sure you paid specific detail. I'm sure you paid specific detail on the day of your wedding to the hair being perfect, the makeup just right. The nails got an extra long manicure. I asked my wife, say, how long does a manicure take, by the way? I've, I've never asked this question. I know you've gone before. She said 45 minutes. I'm like, really? 45 minutes? Dude? So uh, maybe it was a two-hour manicure that day. The dress kept perfectly clean. You wanted it fitted right. It mattered how it fit, didn't it? Hey, you're like, well, who cares how it fits? There's an emphasis on perfection, isn't there, on wedding day? 
Every, you know, the mother and the mother-in-law, they want it perfect. Whoever the wedding director is, they want it perfect. There's an emphasis on perfection. Why? And would we only want perfection on the wedding day? Some would even say if it went right, they say it was flawless. Even though nothing's ever flawless, but some people, you get in your mind, well, it went as good as we could think it could, so in our mind, that's flawless. But only God will someday show us what flawless looks like. The church is far from flawless right now. That's why some people won't even come to church. We know how many flaws the church has. That's why I refuse to come. All you hypocrites in the church, right? But someday, no one will be able to say that. The church will be perfect. It will be flawless at some point. But both grooms and brides, they want that day to be special, a celebration, both rejoicing over the other with love and anticipation of the future. Boy, that day you think the future is going to be all rainbows, right? <laughs> Me and my wife, the very, like three or four days after we got married, um, are on the way to the honeymoon, the flat tire. We just realized it's not going to be perfect. We just knew I'm out there with a jack. We didn't call AAA back in those days. You, you actually did your own tire change back in those days. <laughs> this is 23 years ago. Now everybody sits in their air conditions and waits. But, but we wanted to be a celebration. And this mirrors what the Lord is going to do and already rejoices over the church now. Jesus loves his bride. God loves the church. He rejoices over it, and he fully intends to present her as beautiful, as precious, as lifted up, not puffed up. The church would be lifted up. We're not to be puffed up. We're to wait for God to lift us up and worthy of honor. The church will be worthy of honor because of the blood of Jesus, not because the church has done anything specifically worthy of it, but because it will reflect him. We're to respond with an equal joy that we've been blessed to be chosen by the King of Kings as his bride. Now, I'm speaking to all of us, not just married people. We are to rejoice that we've been chosen. Are you thankful that you're saved? Are you thankful you've been married to Christ through being born again? Now, notice what Jesus values in his church. Notice what he values, that he might present her to himself not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She should be holy without blemish. There's a lot of strong words there, huh? Without spot, without blemish, holy, glorious, all of these things. We see um, when Jesus glorifies and blesses the church, we'll see certain characteristics will be evident. There'll be no spots. There'll be no wrinkles. There'll be no blemishes. It'll be a pure church. Now, a couple things about Jesus and his bride that are distinctly different than any other marriage, past, present, or future between two human beings. Would you agree that Jesus is quite a bit different than us? Of course. So there's some big differences. Here's one. Jesus is the only perfect groom. Ladies, don't say amen all at once, okay? (laughs) I know you're thinking it. Just focus on the positives for a minute about the man sitting beside you. Jesus is the only perfect husband, the only perfect groom in the, in the picture of him and the church. The church, on the other hand, on the day that there's the marriage supper of the Lamb and the church and the final consummation of the marriage takes place, we're already in the 
marriage aspect, we've been betrothed unto Christ, but the full ceremony is yet to take place. We're, we're betrothed now to the Lord. But at some point when Jesus presents the church, it'll be the first perfect church ever seen because right now there are no perfect churches. All the church will be one church, and there'll be one perfect, and this final phase in marriage will see the perfect groom and the perfect church come together, all because Jesus has perfected the church by his own perfection. But here's the application we know is true in our marriages. So you say, all right, I understand that that's Jesus in the church. He's different than any other groom. He's perfect. The church will someday be perfect. What's the application for me today, 2017, in my marriage? Here's what's true for us. A glorious marriage, a marriage that God will bless and favor, is one committed to purity. One that's committed to purity. You, you, to commit to anything, you have to give it some thought. You have to give it some effort. You have to give it some determination. How many of you are committed to drinking clean and pure water? I mean, you, you, you're picky about the water you drink. You don't drink puddles. Um, your dog can do that. Has no problem with it. Thinks it's a great drink. You know, that walks up, says, why are you guys hunting for a bottle of Aquafina? There's water right here. Plenty of it. It's a pond. Why are you looking around? I, and you ever have in the sink, like, let's say you've made scrambled eggs, and then water gets in the same pan where there's scrambled eggs. You just scoop a glass of that out. I mean, it's there. You don't have to run the spigot. It's available. And you're not wasting extra money that way. Just scoop that water out and just down it, you know? No, something in us says, no, when I drink water, I want it to be pure. The toilet water ain't going to do. The sink water's not going to do. The pond water's not going to do. They're all viable sources, but they're not good sources. They're plentiful sources. I'm picky about that. <laughs> Brother and sister, what we put in us or allow in our life will either purify us or contaminate us. It does one or the other. Philippians 4a says, Brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue and any, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These are the things God wants. God says, look, spend your time meditating on pure things. And all he purify you, but he'll purify the marriage. So how do we become pure, stay pure, and thereby purify our marriages? You know, I like alliteration. I don't know why God made me that way, but he did. Anyway, here's some more for you. Three C's of staying pure. Three, C, three C's. There may be more C's. These are the only three C's you're getting this morning. Three C's of staying pure. Number one is commitment. Everything begins with commitment. If we haven't first committed our lives to Christ, that's that point of salvation, the time we were born again, if we haven't committed our lives to Christ, then we can't commit to obedience to Christ, right? We have to first come to the Lord, humble ourselves, be forgiven, and then we can commit to ongoing obedience. An unsaved person can't be obedient to Christ. There's no, there's no Holy Spirit binding that obedience. But if we have the Holy Spirit, we can commit to obedience. My life verse right there, 1 Timothy uh, 2.12 or uh, one twelve there. That God, he will take that which we've committed and help us to keep it under the day of Christ. 
Everything begins with commitment. Without the indwelling of the Spirit, again, that can't happen. We, ha we need the help of the Holy Spirit. But if we make the commitment, God will help us keep it. Again, I, I talked about tonight the prayer, ser uh, prayer service at 6 o'clock. I say, all right, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to skip chillaxing on the couch, and I'm going to go pray for brothers and sisters in North Korea and Africa. And so I'm going to go, God will more than likely help you get here. Because he'll, he'll count it. That's important. I'll help you keep that. You say, I'm going to start to be a husband that prays for the kids. That's a commitment God will help you keep. These are things that God, God helps us keep that. You say, I'm going to become a billionaire. That's not necessarily God's, he, he's not necessarily going to get behind that. There's things that he cares about and there's things that he doesn't care about. But we commit to the things that the Lord says these are important. We're committed to being disciples. We need to all in this room, whether you're married or single or uh, widowed or young, old, in between, don't know what you are, all of us need to be committed to being disciples. How can we not be disciples? It's what Jesus called us to be. He said, go and make disciples. Jesus purchased us with his blood. Think about this. He died on the cross. He purchased you and I with his blood. Now, when you buy something, do you think it belongs to you? Seriously, serious question. When you buy something, do you believe it belongs to you? Or do you believe it belongs to your neighbor? If you buy it, you're pretty sure it belongs to you. You don't think that the government should come take it from you. You don't think that your cousin should come grab it or neighbor or anyone else. Jesus said, I've bought you with a price. You're no longer your own. How can we not be his disciples? We've been chosen by the king of kings. Now, that ought to hit us with some weight, too, that the king of kings has chosen us to be his, to be his bride. You know, everyone loves a Cinderella story. I don't know how many Cinderella story-type movies have been done. The Hallmark Channel's got a lot of them coming up this time of year. But you've got all these Cinderella stories. Disney does them, not just the original, but lots of Cinderella story themes. Sports metaphors are Cinderella stories. Everyone loves a Cinderella story. Guess what, church? We are a Cinderella story. We were from filthy rags to the riches of Christ. We are a Cinderella story. We don't need to go looking for one. We are personally one through the work of Christ and through the cross where he took us from filth to purity, from no father to a heavenly father adopted by his grace. 1 Peter 2.3 says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you have tasted the Lord is gracious, your response can be nothing but, Lord, I'm not real good at this, but I'm ready to be a disciple. That's an honest answer. I have to say it. Lord, I'm still not good at being a pastor or a teacher or a preacher or this, that. And God says, I don't care what you're good at. Just do it. I'll, make, I'll take care of the rest. He does that for marriages too. When we commit to serving the Lord, and to put Christ first in our life and our marriage. Um, again, Christ has to be first. If Christ is first, not our marriage, but Christ is first, um, God will honor it. Jesus made it clear. Even though marriage is from the Lord, your spouse is not more important than the Lord. Your spouse is not more important. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus was not saying that you start to hate your spouse. That was not 
He said your love for him would make everything else look like hate. Make sense? Your love for him would be so strong that it would make everything else look like hate. And by the way, when your love for Jesus is that strong, your love for others will be stronger than it's ever been before. You'll have a greater love for all people in your life. We commit to a lifetime of marriage. We completely obliterate the D word. Just get the divorce word out of your mind. When we commit to marriage, we don't don't get prenuptials. We cut that out of our vocabulary because it's not in God's vocabulary. Now, there are valid grounds for divorce. So if you've ever been divorced, and I don't want you to be in guilt or shame here. There's, ver- there's valid things. That's a different subject altogether. I'm talking about people going into marriage. They both know the Lord. They both have the opportunity to commit eternally in their relationship to Christ, but also to commit in this lifetime to marriage. You just go ahead and say, all these other things, adultery, divorce, we reject that because God rejects it. I'm not saying that those temptations don't come, but God is with, he's able to help every temptation to say no to those things. You can't say no in your flesh, but the Lord will help you and I say no to these things. We also commit to godly influences in our life. We need godly influence. That's why you're at church this morning. You need godly influences. You need other people. The teaching and preaching of word. I listen to other, I'm, I'm sharing on other pastor on Wednesday. I listen to other teachers and preachers because I need godly influences in my life. We need to commit to pure eyes and pure actions. The scriptures say that, that, that we are to make a covenant with our eyes. We commit to say, Lord, I'm not going to look at that stuff. I'm not going to watch that kind of stuff. I'm not going to listen to things that actually would bring about temptation. You know, someone that is has a problem with alcohol, should not hang out in the ABC store. It's a bad place to go. You know, these are, these are just things that would be normal, preventative commitment to saying, Lord, I'm going to stay on this path. Um, I'll point out something in just a second that, that, that makes this even more clear, and, and I believe easier for us to keep these commitments, but Uh, What about the second C here, communion? Uh, This is different than the communion we'll take of this morning, but uh, the same word speaks to several things. Um, Well, communion, uh, without Christ, uh, we can't have any force of commitment unless we have communion with the Lord. In other words, our communion with the Lord is the force of, behind our commitment. It's that communing relationship with the Lord. Commitment flourishes. We become stronger in our commitments when our communion with the Lord is deeper and richer. And by the way, this happens in marriage relationships just as it happens in our relationship with Christ. As we commune and abide with the Lord, as we abide in Christ, we read the Word. We read the word. It's as important to us as the clean water. It's as important to us as food. We read the word of God. We worship as you guys were worshiping this morning, but you also worship personally. We pray, and these things deepen our commitment to Christ. And as we are in communion with our spouse, we will deepen in commitment. Understand, though, where there's no communication, there's not going to be commitment. Or there can be no communion, I should say. Where there's no communication. Communication and communion, two similar words, huh? 
but we have to have communication to have communion. Just like it is with Jesus, I have to communicate in a prayer life to have communion with the Lord. The commitment and the communion, they help us and keep us pure and growing. And lastly, because we're still flawed, and we're going to be flawed until the day we die, we need cleansing. We'll take of that when we take of the Lord's Supper. We'll, we'll ask the Lord, I, I prayed at the beginning of the service, to cleanse us because we constantly need cleansing. Why do you think there was a priesthood? Why do you think there was Yom Kippur? Because it was a constant reminder that the people needed a cleansing. We need a cleansing. We need a cleansing in our personal life. We need cleansing over our marriage. Washing your hands last week is of no value today. Right? If your kids tell you, I washed my hands last week. Isn't that good for the year? Right? If you spent 90 minutes in children's ministry today, you better wash your hands. I have no idea what's over there. Parents will find out on Wednesday. They've been sick for a week. We didn't know. You know they're contagious. It's only hand, foot, and mouth disease. We don't know what it is. But, you know, we pick up germs along the way. We trip up. We mess up. We fail along the way. We have to have commitment. We need the communion with the Lord, but we also need the cleansing. And then we need this in our marriage. Let's look at the next thing here. If you're taking notes, the practicality in verse 28. Uh, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If you read it this way, you can read it this way. So, husbands, as it starts the verse, so, husbands, okay, it's, it, let me say off the bat here, it's hard to ignore how Paul frames this and not see the comical contrast in how men and women think. Is Paul saying that men naturally love themselves on the, in this verse? Uh, that they see themselves in a little different light? Maybe somehow that men miss their own imperfections. I can say this because I'm a man. So, um, Men and women don't think exactly the same. I have a wife and three daughters. I know this. I'm the only dude in the house. I, I'm the only man in the house. I'm constantly doing my own anthropology study on this whole thing. Where do I fit in the universe versus them? You know, that kind of thing. So I'm an introspective thinker anyway. Uh, but um, they see every little imperfection in themselves, an outfit, hair, everything else. Plenty of men, they look in the mirror, even if they're a far cry from what they were at 22, and it's debatable what they're wearing even matches, right? <laughs> and they look in the mirror and say, I'm looking pretty good. <laughs> the wife can look fantastic and still think she's got to change 10 times, like she's looking at a carnival mirror or something, like, oh, man, I've put on 56 pounds in two days or something like that, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, the husband's still admiring himself, saying, I look great. I look just like I did when I was 22. But here's the real, here's the real point Paul is making. Men, you will by default prioritize yourself. You won't have to practice prioritizing. You'll automatically, your DNA will prioritize yourself automatically, just as our flesh. Your body also is not just your body. And this goes for men and women. Our bodies are not just our body. Our body is mind, soul, and body. We're not just a body. We're mind and soul, and it's all in the body. Very important to understand that our body's not just our body. It's, it's, it's all the framework of how God's made us, body, soul, and spirit. Your wife has the same makeup of body, soul, and spirit as you do. 
anatomically different, but the same makeup and the same needs. Yes, we're different. Each human cell, every human cell has 23 pairs of chromosomes. 22 of them are the same. It's just the one that determines sex, either male or female, whether you have the XX or XY. Uh, But the differences God has created, despite the difference between men and women and how we look, we still have the same body, soul, spirit component. Why is that important? Well, that we as men and women, we all have the same natural desires. And then these aren't all sinful, by the way. I said natural. Some of our natural desires are not sinful. We have a sin nature, but some of our natural desires are just God-given. We all like to eat good food. I don't know anyone that doesn't like good food. I like horrible food. I, 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 I don't like food that's bad. You know, that, I've never met anyone like that. We all like good food. We all like to sleep well and be rested. Everyone likes to sleep well. Everyone's like, yeah, I hope I have a horrible night's sleep tonight. I've not met anyone say that. Everyone likes to be, everyone likes to be healthy. I have never been to a prayer meeting where someone says, pray for me, I'd like to be really unhealthy. <laughs> not had that happen yet. We all like to feel good. I haven't met anyone that doesn't want to feel good. We're looking forward to heaven because we know we'll feel good all the time. One of the reasons why we look forward to that day. We all like it when there's hot water to take a shower, which doesn't always happen in my house because a lot of women. <laughs> we like some peace and quiet at times. Everyone likes some peace and quiet. Everyone says, I could use some peace and quiet right now, and I can't seem to find it. We all like that. Some of you younger parents would like it with the toddler would just nap at least <laughs> once, right? You'd, we all like being appreciated. We all like hearing a thank you. I could go on and on. But again, we're men or women, we have the same basic makeup in that respect. Now, men and women may rank these things differently, but we're working off the same list. may rank them differently, but it's the same list we're working off of. And, but again, this verse is not just about the body, not just about the physical body. It's about the body, mind, and spirit. It's what about brings us fulfillment. What is it that brings us fulfillment? Think about verse 28 in a wider sense. Think about it if if you read it like this. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own lives. He who loves his wife loves his life. Now, I'm not changing Scripture. Don't go tell it. Our pastor made up a new verse today. No, I'm not changing. I'm not changing Scripture. I'm amplifying the depth of it. I'm just trying to amplify the depth of it. The, The verse is what it is, but... Instead of just thinking body, it's more than it's the life because you're not just a body, you're mind and spirit. So he who loves his life would love his wife and vice versa. When we enter into marriage, it's no longer me, it's now us. It's now us. Does this, you have to ask yourself, whatever you're doing, something that you think is important or not important, does this minister, does it help? Does it heal? Does it affirm? Does it comfort? Does it provide something for the us? Now, we can add this in a larger church uh, construct as well, in a church family. Does this minister and help us, or does this hinder us? Husbands or men, and this is certainly the case, even if you're single, this is still the case, we will naturally want to do things that fulfill ourselves, things that please, things that satisfy, things that entertain, things that sustain us. Now, aside from the greater spiritual maturity of placing Christ above our natural inclinations, are we focused on ensuring that our wives are fulfilled, that they're pleased, 
that they're satisfied, that they're relaxed, that they're rested? Is that in our mind, or are we only thinking about that for ourselves? Man, if we think nothing of three hours of fishing, 3.5 hours of watching a game, four if it's an overtime game, several hours in a deer stand, which I've never done, but some of you seem to like, Going to an ass cart, which I don't get either, but some of you like that. I'm not, I'm not dogging it. I'm just saying. I mean, we all like different things here. Playing a three-hour round of golf. I knew guys that played 36 holes in a day when I used to be in the business world that, that would really play. I'm like, you, you play three rounds? Not one round. Three. Working on an outdoor project takes three or four weekends, and you milk it because you get alone time. Someone said, my cover's blown. <laughs> Are we finding ways to give your wife three or four hours in the same way? Wives are like, yes. The husband's like, why did he go there? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, just, maybe just allowing your wife a couple hours without distraction. If we can find time to work out and exercise, why wouldn't we help them find time to work out and exercise? Some fun advice here. And if you get in an argument about these things, I love this little advice. Don't go to bed angry. Stay up and fight. You know, so, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, you'll end up doing it once. Not funny, and it won't be funny until later. But uh, don't do it anyway. I was kidding about that. But are we truly thinking about our wife's needs as much as we're thinking about and paying attention to our own needs? Because you say, well, men, well, men might say, well, why are you asking ask these questions. Because verse 20 says, so husbands. Paul's directing this to husbands. Paul's the one, by the Holy Spirit, he's giving men the leadership role in who's looking out for whose needs. And when we do it, it will become reciprocal, by the way. Because wives, the same is true for you. Both are to put the other in place of their own needs. I mean, wives are to put their husband above themselves, and husbands are to put the wives above themselves, or minimally equal to ourselves. But men were to lead in this. That's why Paul's saying, so husbands, you've got to take the lead on this. You've got you to get in the driver's seat and say, I'm going to make sure you have time for things that refresh you, things that will rest you, things that will reinvigorate you, giving preference or honor. In 1 Peter 3, 7, and this verse is also another one that's abused, but I'm going to clarify it real quick. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, do you want your prayers hindered? Just do things that only satisfy yourself, and your prayers will be hindered. But if you want to have your prayer life flourish and God answer those prayers, minister. Now, it says weaker vessel. Some of you might say, well, is, Paul, is, is Paul saying that women are weaker than men? Well, aside from the fact that Genetically speaking, um, there are definitely differences, but that's not really what, what he's talking about. The weaker vessel in this sense, uh, if you have a brand new iPhone and you have a hammer, you cannot treat them the same. You, cannot, you can take the hammer and drop it any old way you want. The hammer is going to do just fine. It might have scuffs on it, but it'll work as perfect. Take the iPhone and chuck it out the window. $500 down the drain, right? One, they're both valuable, but they have a certain, they're different. And you can do a lot with an iPhone that you can't do with a hammer. And you can do some things with a hammer. Men, if we're hammers, we can do some cool stuff. And women, if you're iPhones, you can do a lot of cooler stuff. But anyway, um, you have to, 
You have to treat them differently. And so the, the, the phone is delicate, but it's highly valuable and has served a lot of purposes. So again, that's kind of an understanding of what Paul is saying with that statement. That's because we bring different things to the table, don't we? And we have to appreciate the differences. I like that the fact that we're not all the same in this room. Because differences and diversity brings a lot of other perspectives. It brings added collaboration. It gets you better results. And so God has made us to be complementary of each other. We bring different things to the table, and we should appreciate the differences, not harp against the differences. But we're both called to serve one another with a pure and a giving heart. And when that happens, amazing things will begin to happen in our marriage. When we put the other first, it becomes each diving down. Last thing we look at, and then we'll come to a close here, is the protection. Do you want your marriage protected? I do. Now, the first two things go into that. If we have that focus on the purity and we have that focus on the practical things that we need to be doing, then the protection is going to follow. He says here in verse uh, 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and shares it just as the Lord does his own church. When we nourish and cherish our marriage above everything else, aside from that walk with Jesus that we talked about, and then that walk with Christ is, is put first, um, when we be, do these things and we do them together, we cherish our relationship with the Lord, but we cherish and nourish one another, this will be a blessing beyond any way to describe it in the marriage. And Paul said it, it's a natural thing. You want to cherish and nourish your body, and you want to cherish and nourish the marriage. Again, if you're single, um, there'll be gaps that will be there that you would not be able to fill on your own because you don't have a spouse, and you say, well, I, what about this? What about this? Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't have limitations like us, so God will fill all those gaps. Just be assured of that. That's just a scriptural fact, that God will fill any gap. If anyone here had a period of time that they were without a spouse, God's bigger than that, so he will meet all of those needs. And I don't say that patronizing. I say that because we know that the Lord is faithful. He's a father to the fatherless. If people that didn't grow up with a dad, if, we, if that wasn't true, we'd have to write them off immediately. But God can fill those gaps. So again, those of you that are single or widowed or are, are not in a relationship, hey, God will fill the gaps that you need that otherwise would come through the marriage relationship. That's why we also have a larger church family to minister one to another. We have to care about people that are not in the same place that we're at. We're called to co-labor together. So that's in a marriage relationship, but it's also in the larger church family relationship. But if you are married, a cherished, nourished marriage along with that purity and the commitment and the communion and the cleansing that we talked about, um, and the practice of serving one another will be a protected marriage. And God really wants our marriages protected. Do we all believe that Christ nourishes and protects the church? Of course. He's faithful. We screw up, but he never does. He nourishes and protects the church. Of course he does, and, uh, and we need to do the same, and we need his help to do it. It's a priority with the Lord to nourish and protect the church, and it should be a priority in our lives to protect something as valuable as our marriage. People protect all kinds of other things that aren't important, right? People take more care of their antique car. Don't call your marriage an antique marriage. But, and they might take more care of the car than the marriage. 
One reason why so many marriages are less protected and strengthened than they could be or should be, even, and this is even couples that have good intentions and maybe even a strong moral commitment. A strong moral commitment, good intentions, but still not what it could be, is that they fail to understand marriage and its place within all other relationships. Many men and women have failed to understand that marriage is the permanent change to all other human and personal relationships. Once you enter into marriage, it changes all the others. It exceeds the others. With marriage, you have a new permanent best friend, unless the Lord would take one home sooner than the other. Over the years, I've heard many people say, I just want to hang with the guys. Never mind if they have three kids saying that, right? Because somebody is doing the work if you have that mentality. Or I just want to have a ladies' night and another ladies' night. Biblical right to time with the boys or time with the girls. Did you know that? There's no biblical right to that. Now, Christian friends are important. I'm not against friends. I have dude friends, guy friends, brothers in Christ. My wife has friends that are ladies. But we understand its place. It's not in place of the marriage, and it's not more important than marriage. Those Christian relationships are important. It's important that we have other relationships. But the, um, and those Christian friends in our life, they're a help, and they're a blessing in our life. And we need iron sharpens iron. I, I understand all that aspect of it. But the marriage relation takes a higher priority by God's design. By God's design, that the husband would leave the family and cleave unto his wife. I don't cleave to my friends, by the way. Oh, hang on to them like that. It's not going to work that way. But when we willingly and joyfully give marriage its place and priority as God's ordained it, we'll find the best friend we might not know was always sitting right beside us. We'll find that place. We'll find that relationship in the spouse that we didn't know was there. And all the needs that will be met in that respect that maybe not have been met before, God will begin to fill those things in. No matter how much you try to meet, all the guy, the bro time will never replace marriage. The ladies' nights, they're nice and stuff here, but that can't replace. You have to cultivate the marriage one-to-one relationship. And there's three areas to cultivate that we're coming to down the home stretch here. Threefold, threefold strength here. In cult, three areas to uh, cultivate in the relationship, spiritual, relational, and physical. And really, there are three cords that make up the same rope. There are three cords of the same rope. Um, if you look at uh, Ecclesiastes 4.12, this verse is actually in the Bible. It says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. In our marriage, um, this is also true in this sense. In the marriage, the threefold is this, husband, wife, Jesus at the center. That's the threefold cord, right? So we have that aspect of a threefold cord, but we also have this threefold uh, picture as well. When we think of the daily investments in marriage, and every day you're either investing in marriage or you're kind of breaking it up a little bit, but we want to invest in it. The daily investments, these three stand out as separate but interconnected responsibilities and blessings. They're not just responsibilities. They're not just blessings. They're both. Responsibility and blessing, these three things. First is spiritual or spiritually. Men and women, this is how you kind of think through this from a spiritual perspective. Are you praying for one another in your marriage? Are you praying with one another in your marriage? 
Are you discussing spiritual things? Are you discussing spiritual challenges? Are you discussing growth? That's the spiritual emphasis that has nothing to do with the hot date. Right? Well, it actually does, but that's a different story, right? This is spiritually, are we investing in each other's spiritual walk with the Lord? You have to have a personal one, but also in each other, praying with each other. Hey, how's your walk? What are you studying in the Word? That kind of thing. What did the Lord show you in devotions? Hey, what can I be praying for you for? Hey, what's really kind of been beating you up lately that I can be lifting up before you for the Lord? That's called spiritual investment in the marriage. Then you have relational. You can't make everything in life heavy. You gotta laugh sometimes. You gotta have laughter. You gotta be able to talk. And when you talk, you gotta put the cell phone away. Maybe turn it off, put it in a different room. Or it could get tossed by somebody in the room, right? Um, turn these things off. Engage. Make time to hang out, right? You've got to make time. No one's ever going to make it for you. We have to make the time to have a relation, to engage. You made the time to be here this morning. I didn't make you come. You came. You made the time. We have to make the time to have that relation. And, uh, you know, part of that relation, you, you should go on a date. I was on a date Friday night. You know, one of the things that's great about um, uh, once you've been married a long time, you don't really need fancy restaurants anymore. You can actually save a lot of money. Because you actually get tired of the waiter asking you 88 times, how's everything? Everything tastes okay? You know, like, I'm done with this. I just want to talk to my wife or, you know, that kind of thing. And you actually can finally go and spend less and actually have more quality time. And you don't have to wait outside with a little buzzer in your hand the whole time, like, with 300 other people for an hour wait. And you're like, this cheeseburger wasn't that great. Why did I do this? And I spent 10 times more than, you know. Date each other, by the way, is not just on date night. Date each other is all the time. That's the relational. The, th the third is physical. Now, not just intimacy, which, which has to be part of any marriage, or there really is uh, a shell of a marriage, but physical touch is like put an arm around somebody. I, I made you all hold hands last week to pray. Thankfully, some of you said you do that all the time. Those of you that didn't, I didn't ask. But anyway, it's good to physical touch. We need it. Lowers blood pressure. Actually helps your life. All kinds of things to actually touch the person. Grab their hand. How you doing? Put a hand. Uh, back scratches are great. Everyone likes those, right? All these things. But physical touch. These things are important. And so all of these things, when we focus on investing on them together, we're going to see a big impact on our marriage. And I want to close with uh, a list of things as we come to a close here. I didn't, uh, I didn't make up this list, although I did modify it. Uh, the author was unknown. And I took the list and I modified it a little bit. Um, I changed a few words which I think are more uh, appropriate for the day and age we live in and a little more understandable for how we live. But the choice is always ours. And this isn't just for married people. In the body of Christ, these will always help the marriage. The first, choose to love rather than hate. Every day you, you make this choice. Choose to smile rather than frown. You can frown all you want. It'll never help. By the way, the more you frown, the more it will impact you negatively, your health, your spiritual walk. That's why we choose to praise, by the way. We choose to praise the Lord. Choose to build rather than destroy. Say, is what I'm doing building the marriage or is it really tearing it down? 
Choose to persevere rather than quit. Never quit on anything. It's always too soon to quit. Choose to praise rather than critique. You're not going to get any real far, men and women nitpicking each other's every little thing. By the way, most of the things we critique, the person already knows they need to get better at that. Do you realize that? We're beating a dead horse proverbially. Choose to heal rather than wound. Don't bring up past issues. Bury them at the cross. Choose to heal rather than wound. Choose to give rather than grasp. Be a giver. Become a more generous giver in every part of your life. Marriage, church, here in the community. Choose to act rather than delay. Don't put things off. If God says, hey, make time for this, don't wait till it's too late to make time for things. We always wait to. We have a lot of people that regrets when they get to their funeral, they say, wow, I wish I, I would have done this sooner. wish I'd have done that sooner. Choose to forgive rather than despise. We only hurt ourselves when we don't forgive. Certainly hurt other people too. But, and choose to pray rather than despair. If we have time to worry, we have time to pray. Amen?